Hey, it's Tony Macia with the Charlotte Ledger, and you're listening to the Charlotte Ledger podcast. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger and subscribe to one of our newsletters by going to thecharlotteledger.com. Today's podcast is part of a special series we're doing in which we interview winners of the Charlotte Ledger's 40 Over 40 Awards. The recipients are people ages 40 and up who are making a big difference in the Charlotte area, people who saw a need and took action, whether it's in business, the nonprofit world, education, or another field. The winners are chosen by an impartial panel of independent judges. We accept nominations in January and celebrate the winners in an in-person event in April. You can find out more about all of that at ledger40over40.com. The host of today's podcast is Steve Dunn. Steve's a good guy. And in his day job, he's a mediator who offers dispute resolution services through the Charlotte Office of Miles Mediation and Arbitration. Enjoy. Welcome to the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. I'm Steve Dunn. We are, as part of our conversations with winners of the Ledger's 40 Over 40 Award, joined by Amy Osaker, the Executive Director of Envision Charlotte. Welcome, Amy. I wonder if you could tell our listeners how and when you came to Charlotte. I came to Charlotte in 96, the day after the Olympics was over, because my ex-husband worked for the Olympics. This is the Atlanta Olympics, right? Yes. So we lived in Atlanta, and my job was transferring me here, and his job was ending. So we moved here August, whatever it was, 1996, when tumbleweeds were blowing uptown. Those were different times. (laughs) Atlanta is a city like Charlotte in many ways, a southeastern city, a new city. I sometimes think that Atlanta reveals a glimpse of Charlotte 30 years into the future. I wonder what your thoughts are about that. Well, let's see. It's almost 30 years since, or 20, how many years have I? Charlotte is not in the running to host the Olympics. No. We we can all agree about that. Yeah. What was 20 years ago? 96 was 30 years ago. ago. Yeah. So if I think of Atlanta 30 years ago and compare it to Charlotte now, I mean, the traffic in Atlanta was awful. Like even back then going from Buckhead to Lenox was, I mean, it's just awful. No, I, it's so sprawling there too. I I don't see us being, we weren't there. We aren't where Atlanta was 30 years ago. You're making me do a lot of math on a Monday morning. I'm just letting you know. Do you not think we're making all of the same mistakes though, in the same order and in the same way? You know, Yes and no. I mean, Atlanta really sprawled up 85, where if you take South End, Uptown, and maybe the North Side, and if it just stays there, I don't see it quite sprawling like it did from Atlanta up to Cobb County or whatever. But maybe it's just I'm hopeful. I'm just an optimist that we won't become that. Yeah, well, you have to be. On on the other hand, there are some things to speak of about Atlanta, some things about Atlanta that I think a lot of people in Charlotte would say, yeah, those are the types of problems that we want to have. You know, a lot of, oh, you, uh, there's a lot of Fortune 500 companies located there. That's not such a terrible thing for a right. city. It's a city that is vibrant culturally in many ways. There's, I, I recall I used to do some work with theaters here in Charlotte, and we'd look at Atlanta and we'd say there's there's 20 theaters in, in Atlanta, and there's barely a couple in Charlotte. And so there are some things that we can learn from our neighbors to the south But it sounds as though you're happy that you got out of there and you're happy you came to Charlotte. And I wonder what your observation of Charlotte and its change over the past 30 years has been. 
You know, I love Charlotte. I'm actually originally from Indiana. I love the beauty of Charlotte. I love the blue skies. I love our trees. I do love it's now getting to the point where we have great restaurants and a lot of diversity in our restaurants. When we first moved here, you couldn't get a lot of the ethnic foods that you could get in Atlanta. So I love where it's at. I love to see where it's going. I love the diversity coming in of all different kinds, whether it's people, ages, foods, things to do. So yeah, I think we're on a good path. I think we're doing some right things and I I love it here. Well, you are directly involved in making sure that we're on the right path. You mentioned the blue skies and the trees and the what we hope will be containment of urban sprawl and all of that touches directly on the work that you do with Envision Charlotte. Now, what is Envision Charlotte? So Envision Charlotte is a nonprofit and focused on sustainability initiatives for Charlotte. And so our most recent project is all around the circular economy. So helping Charlotte transition to be more circular rather than linear. Do you want me to explain? What? Well, you have described <laughs> this, the, a forest as a circular economy in the sense that within a forest, things come and go, things grow and die, but there really isn't any waste. Everything serves a purpose. Does that get us somewhere into the ballpark of what you mean by a circular economy? Yeah, exactly. It's zero waste. And so how do we use our resources better? How do we design differently? How do we use better resources, more environmentally friendly, not only towards the planet, but towards our people, and more equitable solutions for everyone? Because climate change negatively affects poor populations or at-risk populations more so than other people. So this, these, are, these are big ideas. This is our world and its future. And I wonder, though, on a day-to-day basis, you know, in terms of the nuts and bolts, how do you do it at Envision Charlotte? Yeah. You know, one of the things that I, when I came into this job, someone gave me the advice, don't try to boil the ocean, you know, try to pick a few things and go deep. And so we did a study about four or five years ago that looked at Charlotte and gave us some opportunities. So look at plastics, organics, textiles, concrete and demolition and build an innovation center. So we really focus on those five things. We opened the innovation barn a little over a year ago. And that has just opened up all kinds of opportunities. And so we focused on plastics and looking at taking number five takeout plastics that such exploded during the pandemic. And you can't curbside recycle those in Mecklenburg right now. So but you can bring them to the barn and we can turn them into benches or bricks. So it's kind of like chipping away at one little opportunity after the next and some fail and some work and some we hope to scale huge. Some might just be niche. But if you just stay focused and kind of get the little wins. Maybe all the little wins will add up to some really big wins. Well, there's a lot going on there. A couple of things that you mentioned are innovation. Sounds like experimentation is a part of the project. What it, it sounds like what you do. First of all, I love the analogy of uh, not trying to boil the ocean. I think that's a, a perfect one to use in the <laughs> environmental world. I was involved in a nonprofit years ago where someone advised me not to try to eat the entire elephant in one bite. So I think it's a similar sort of concept. You can't solve all of the world's problems, but it sounds like if you devote your energies toward addressing a couple or a few at a time and try a few different approaches to those, you may come upon some solutions that work and can be scaled up. And that's sort of what is at the heart of innovation. And you mentioned the innovation barn, which Envision Charlotte 
operates as, this is a building. It's on Siegel Avenue in the Belmont neighborhood of Charlotte. What goes on there? A little bit of everything. Uh, So we have, we are trying to showcase a bunch of closed loop systems. So you have everything from an aquaponic garden, which is fish and, and leafy greens, to soldier fly composting. But then we also process plastics and aluminum. We have a recent project with Goodwill where we are taking old t-shirts and we are weaving them into sound panels. So you have a whole area where we are trying to figure out how do we scale this? Is there a market? Is there a way to take these t-shirts? And and like I said, keep them out of the landfill and keep them to a next life because nobody really wants to go buy a race t-shirt that you ran in 20 years ago. I mean, you might want a Grateful Dead t-shirt from 1969, but you don't want a running t-shirt. So what do you do with all those t-shirts that I mean, my gosh, if you just think of t-shirts. So we're doing little projects like that, then figuring them out, tweaking, scaling them up. But the cool thing about the Innovation Barn is all these different people come in and they have all these different ideas. And it takes a whole bunch of people with different mindsets, different skill sets, different resources to kind of move the needle. So it's been really fun engaging the public in this Innovation Barn. You mentioned soldier fly composting, and I I have to dwell on that for a moment and ask, are you breeding flies over there at the Innovation Barn? We sure are. All right. Well, yeah. that's exciting. So what what do the flies do? So the flies create or lay eggs, which become larvae. And then the larvae can rapidly break down organics. So rotten foods, basically. And the cool thing about these larvae eating up rotten foods, they do it quickly, but they can also eat cheeses and meats, which can be traditionally hard to compost. And so Our little tiny room, once it's fully operational, it's still tweaking the whole process, can process 500 pounds of organics a week. And so we also have a nonprofit there called The Bulb, and The Bulb takes food, rescues foods from farms and Trader Joe's, and they take out the bad foods, they feed the flies or the larvae, and then they take the other foods and give it out to people in need through 11 mobile markets. But there's a lot of those foods. There's one bad strawberry in a whole bin, right? So they are able to take that one strawberry and feed it to the flies. And what's really cool is it does create a lot of CO2. These flies do. But then that CO2 is pumped into the aquaponics garden for photosynthesis. But then those larvae, before they turn into flies again, you can harvest those. And those can become a high-valued product. They can feed fish. They can feed livestock. They can be ground up for little protein, maybe some burgers. I don't know. I mean, I mean, just saying they do it in Europe. Do you not know, or is that part of what's going on over at the barn? We are not making burgers yet. Operative word yet. Just kidding. <laughs> well, let's. I mean, that raises the next obvious question, which is, how do you decide what you're going to do or what you're going to try? Because it sounds like you've got a bunch of different irons in the fire, a bunch of different things that you're trying, some things that so. How do you know what you're going to try to do? And then how do you know either when it hasn't worked or when it really is a spectacular success that can escape from the innovation barn and and go out into the world? Yeah. So I'll give you one example. And it's kind of ad hoc, you know, when you have someone who's interested or you have a resource or you have a company. But one of the issues that Mecklenburg County, a lot of cities have this, is issues with glass. So if you curbside recycled glass, it can break. It hurts the workers out at the MRF, which is the material recovery facility, recycling facility, whichever. And so the county is trying to get that glass out. And so there's a bunch of yellow bins around town where they want you to put your glass in. 
but it is more expensive to ship glass to Atlanta to be recycled than it's worth. So it's costing us to ship it down there. Plus, you think of the, you know, the footprint of shipping it all down there. So we had a glass crusher. It's very cool. And so we would take all the wine bottles that I had during COVID, which might have been a few. And then we would crush those and it would turn it into sand, different levels of sand from right. And you could just scoop it up with your hand, just like at the beach. So now we have the sand. So what kind of product could we do with it? So a couple of things happened. The machine that we had was on loan. And I had another person who had come to the barn I'd known for years who has Peaceful Ponds. It's a company that does outdoor landscaping of ponds and uses sand. So we were talking and he's like, well, what if I bought the Innovation Barn a granulator and then I could use the sand for my products and we could use some of the glass from Mecklenburg? Great. Then I had another friend slash someone I've known for years who can take the sand and use it as aggregate in concrete. So he's taking some of the sand and looking at standing up a company to do concrete. And then we're talking to Atrium and they're building you know, their new innovation center. And could they use this concrete within their innovation center? So that's the kind of thing where you're pulling all these different people together and solving a problem, which is our glass in Charlotte doesn't need to be sent to Atlanta to be recycled. Could we stand up a business here that's profitable and takes care of one of our issues? So it's kind of pulling all these little strings together and tying it into a little bow. So we're in early stages to see if this works, if it financially works, if the numbers work, to see if this is something that we could prop up and let it fly. That's what I'm wondering is, do you, do you let it go? If you, if you have something that is a big hit, if you, if you solve a particular problem, you're not trying to boil the ocean, but you're just trying to brew a cup of environmental tea and it's successful. When you're in the innovation business, is it experimentation is, is what you do? Or do you see a future in which lightning strikes and you hit upon something that really works where you can, you can make a, a true difference in one narrow slice of this field? I just wonder, what is Envision? Would it have to fly away or might you keep it in-house in some way? I think it would be, we would look at each scenario as it appears. Some of them, I want them to go, you know, because you're staffing up and you're, you're, you're depleting your efforts into one when you could stand up a new business or you could help a business or you could give them, you know, more resources or whatever. So I think probably 90% of the time I would rather them fly away, maybe with some kind of residual help back towards Envision because we are a nonprofit. Right. There could be something that we would keep on our own. We did do a recycling project. It was called Smart Sea. If we ever got funding for that, that would probably be something that we'd want to keep it ourselves, mm -hmm. uh, which just $2 million. If you know anyone laying around, you know, revolutionize recycling, just send it my way. You but, got it. You know, otherwise, I think it. I'd rather bring people together, stand something up and, and let it grow. Have there been any flops? Are you okay talking about flops? Oh, yeah. Have you been any? That's that's part of innovation, right? Mm -hmm. You got you to swing for the fences and occasionally you're going to strike out, right? Any Any memorable disasters? Did the flies ever escape into the barn? No, but they did get caught in my hair, <laughs> and that wasn't very much fun. We, I mean, we've had some false starts. Like we had a mushroom container that we really want to grow mushrooms in. And so the first person that we were working with, that didn't work. And now we're partnering with CPCC, and they have a class who's come in. And one of the things that we're trying to do is typically mushrooms are grown in a plastic bag, which is a single-use plastic bag. So we're trying to change it and grow it in buckets, and it just – it's very hard with contamination, but I think 
We have some mushrooms right now pinning if the pipes haven't frozen and burst over there, which we had a couple pipes at the barn outside burst this week. So we got to check our mushroom garden. But one of the other ones that we're still kind of floundering on is we have a Philobot machine that you can take plastic and make filament for and filaments for 3D printers. But it's been very challenging because every 3D printer takes a different kind of plastic at a different temperature. And so we haven't been able to figure out how best to use that. Extruding it into molds, plastic, that's easy. But the filament is still a little tricky. It's not working <laughs> yet. Still sitting there. Yep. Not yet. Yeah. You're, something that's clearly shining through is your, your optimism. Your, not only your hope for the future, but your belief in the possibility of a bright future comes through. And I suppose that that's a necessary trait for anybody who's working on part of environmental work is a lot of times it seems like you're addressing perhaps things that were done in the past that we might have done differently if we were thinking it through today, but we're doing it with an eye toward the future in the hope of a better future. And what does that look like from an environmental standpoint? And then I want to ask you about your thoughts on Charlotte in particular, but just for our world, what does a brighter and better future look like? Well, I I think what's been really interesting is COVID made people see how kind of wasteful we are because you're in your house and suddenly you have all this food that you're throwing out and you have, you know, you're bored. And so you go through your closet and you're getting all these boxes and you have boxes and plastic wrap. And I have noticed a huge difference of people just realizing, you know, how much stuff we have. And, and I think also just with the current administration putting a lot more money into projects like this, I think a lot of people are opening their eyes. So I do see positive change in the US in other countries. I mean, Europe is way ahead of us in this. So I think that's good. I think one of the things that's super interesting when you look at the circular economy, everyone, when they talk about the environment, always talks about renewable energy. Well, you know, we live in a regulated market, so we can't really do much about renewable energy or what goes on the grid at Duke Energy. But with a circular economy, it gives you and I something tangible we can do. We may not be able to put solar panels on our house, but we can change the way we shop. We cannot bring a, you know, get a bag at the grocery store, one less thing. You can compost, you can, there's so many individual actions that we can now do and that we can see a direct result of how it can affect climate change and, and, you know, dampening that down, that collectively we have an opportunity I don't think we've thought about before. You have said that you predict in the future that we will be mining our landfills for the resources that we used to just throw away, that there's valuable stuff there, stuff we can use in landfills. And part of what you're doing through your work now is diverting resources away from landfills. That's part, that, the circular economy that you refer to is the idea that we're going to send less stuff to landfills because we're going to be finding other uses for stuff that we used to just discard. But I'm curious about this mining concept. It seems like a very envisioned Charlotte thing to do, <laughs> sort of an entrepreneurial effort to go go find what's out there in the landfills. What is out there that you think we might be able to make use of in the future? Well, I mean, other countries are already going out there and getting the plastic out of it. So if you look at, for example, California passed, and, and I, I can't remember the exact law, but by 2030, something about their plastic has to be like 50% recycled content. So these big companies who make plastic bottles need to make them with 50% recycled content. 
So how do you get that plastic back? And so there are lots of municipalities that don't necessarily take this PET and send it to back to be bottles. They're sending it back to be polyester, which downgrades it and it dead ends it. And you don't want to do that. So where are they going to get all this plastic? If you can't get it from the consumers, but you're going to want to sell it in California, it needs 50%. Are you going to start going into landfill and pulling it out? I don't know. I mean, I don't think that's in the next couple years. But those kinds of laws then start changing behavior and starts making people look at our, you know, our resources differently. And so there's tons of plastics in there that can be mined and can be reused. So, again, I don't know when we're going to start doing this. Maybe it's the Mad Max in me, but eventually I think we will get there, whether it's 20, 30, 50 years. You're originally from Indiana. You live for a time in Atlanta. Whether or not Atlanta represents a glimpse into Charlotte's future, you've been in Charlotte now for 30 years, and you've got a a clear sense over a period of decades of the trajectory and growth of the city. I wonder, as you look into your crystal ball, what you see in Charlotte's future, and whether it relates directly to the work that you do or not, whether it may relate to your hope for the culinary scene or for the cultural opportunities that will be available to us in the future. I just wonder, based on what you've seen and what you see today, where you think we're headed as a city? Hmm. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring us down, then I'll bring us up. Okay, sounds great. I mean, I, I feel a little frustrated with, I think, the politics of Charlotte right now. I think we have some challenges there, and I think we're in a really challenging time. And I think that our elected officials, I'm hoping pick their heads up a little bit, look more at policies and and less into the weeds and divisiveness. So let me put that out there. So I think we got some work that we need to do there that's a little troubling, I think, more so than in the past. I do think that we have an opportunity around sustainability. We are actually a leader in the country. You know, this the Innovation Barn is the first of its kind in the country. Yet I don't see the city celebrating it as much. You know, it's such a banking town. It's such a financial town. Maybe, you know, people are going to argue that it's also a lot of energy work, that sort of thing. But we have an opportunity. And most companies have ESG goals. And it's only going to get more so with what the SEC is looking at. So the opportunity to be a leader and even get more green. And when I say green, I mean not only green in terms of climate change and all that, but a greener city with our trees and our beautiful blue skies. So we have a huge opportunity, and I hope that it goes beyond just envision in our merry band of fellow friends and neighbors and like-minded people that it, it swells up a little bit bigger. Well, you have been honored by the Charlotte Ledger's 40 Over 40 Award. You are quite notably in that way, over 40. I wonder. Really? Well, yeah, it happens oh. to it happens to us all, we hope. Yes. And I wonder as you look back over the path through life that brought you here, what what advice might you give to a younger version of yourself or to a younger person that comes to you today and says, you know, what what have you learned? This is my philosophy. I, I say yes all the time, like to crazy stuff. And if people need help or if people want advice, and yes, my time can be limited sometimes, and so I'm not always the best at getting back at things. But I always tell people, diversify and say yes to things. You know, I got an email from a group that wanted me to guest bartend in a play two weeks ago. And I'm like, okay, sure. You know, and you meet a bunch of new people that way. So over my 27 years here, I've done 
political campaigns. I was co-chair of the school bonds. I was on Arts and Science Council. I do environmental stuff. I was at the Charlotte Chamber. I did all this school stuff with my kids, all these sports. I could go on and on. And because of that, I have this really rich network that if I have a crazy idea, I'm like, oh, I can pull someone from the arts community and I can pull from someone from the business community. So my philosophy is to say yes. Now, I know there's all this like no November and, you know, like people say no and on and on. I, I That is just not at the core of who I am. So I would. You've never yes. burned out. You've, it's never become too much. No. All right. Good for you. Well. Let us Yet. let us hope. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so things that may still come in the future, making burgers out of soldier flies. <laughs> yes. You say no to something because you're just over it. And you've got too much going on. And then there was one other thing that we mentioned. I'll have to go back and listen. But well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much for being with me this morning. I'd love for you to share with our listeners how to reach you. And I want to highlight that public tours are available of the Innovation Barn, right? That's on mm-hmm. Tuesdays and Fridays. And I can't remember exactly which time is which, but if you go to our website, it'll have it. I think it's maybe one thirty on Tuesdays. One thirty at Tuesdays on Friday. Ten thirty on Fridays. That's exactly right. Yep. Oh, and good. So, Thank you. Yep. And then where where can our listeners find you and follow you and learn more about you and what you do? Yeah. So envisioncharlotte.com has great information. We're on Instagram, Innovation Barn CLT, and then LinkedIn is probably where I do most of Amy's stuff. And I'm trying to get much better at the Instagram with Innovation Barn because I know a ton of people like to watch the reels that we do in terms of how things are made or soldier flies and all that good gritty stuff. Well, it's a great pleasure meeting with you this morning. Thanks so much for being with me on the Charlotte Ledger Podcast. Thank you. That's it for today. The Charlotte Ledger Podcast is produced by Lindsay Banks. You can find out more about the Charlotte Ledger at thecharlotteledger.com. And you can find out more about our 40 Over 40 Awards at ledger40over40.com.